yesterday morning we had the privilege of going on base at Fort Eustis because Chuck right over here retiring from the Army. Thank you for your service, good sir. It was so inspiring to be there. There were, there were nine people that were retiring that day and they do such an amazing job of honoring them and acknowledging their sacrifice, but also acknowledging the sacrifice of family members, of wives and husbands and kids and all the things that those have served have missed out on because of their service, because of their sacrifice and because of their patriotism. And we were talking after the ceremony about how they get to now step into a life where they get to decide what they're going to do. You with me? Right? For, for some of them, right, for over 20 years, there was one lady, she was retired from over 40 years in the service of waking up every day of other people telling you where you're going to go and what you're going to do and when you're going to have to get there and when you have to wake up and when you have to go to bed. And, 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 and as we were worshiping tonight, I thought, you know, for some of you, that's how you're living your life, as if you don't have a choice, as if you don't have a say. And I had such a sense that God wanted to say to you tonight that it's time for you to dream, that he's got a plan for you, he's got purpose for you, and you know what? You've got a say in it. He cares about what you desire. He cares about what you long for. And for some of you here tonight, you might feel like, well, I'm just in this job because it's the job that was put in front of me. Maybe for some of you have been doing it since high school. Maybe you're moving from relationship to relationship because that's all you know. And what God just wants to say to you tonight is dream with Him. Dream with Him. Father, I pray for whoever that's for. Whoever is here tonight and they're just going through life as if they don't have a say, as if they don't have a choice, as if everything is just being assigned to them. I pray that for the rest of this service tonight, that something would ignite in their heart where they would begin to dream with you, where they would begin to have a conversation with you, where they would would begin to talk with you about their desires, about their hopes. God, I pray that that something would just come alive inside of them. God, whether they're 70 or 17, that it's never too late, it's never too soon to dream with the creator of the universe who has the power to make all things come to fruition. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen, amen. Hey, I'm going to invite you to be seated. You know, we love worship here at City Life. It's a huge part of who we are. Pastor David already alluded to it tonight about it's one of our pathways. I'm going to be talking about our pathways some tonight, but we have an opportunity to step into a moment of worship uh, with this entire region. I'm a part of a group of pastors uh, called the Virginia Unity Project. We meet every month together, uh, and every now and then we, we sponsor projects and events and, and, and opportunities for churches to stand together. Worship is important for us personally. It's important for us corporately as a church family, but it's also 
a great way for churches to come together. And so we're just putting this date up there for you. You know Chris House, who is our director of creative arts here. Uh, he's going to be leading worship that night, but I'm just throwing it up there for you. I want you to put it on your calendar. If you're a paper calendar, write it down. If you've got a smartphone, uh, Wednesday night, March 27th at 7 p.m., we're going to be over at Cornerstone Worship Center off of Tide Mill Lane. We, we believe that as a church, that we're supposed to be a part of bringing churches together into a place of unity that too many cities are not willing to pursue. And I think every church longs for that to some degree. We feel like as a church, and many of these other churches feel like that we've been, giving, been given a mandate to see that come forward. I, I, believe, I believe that that's one of the reasons why is you've been with us for the last couple of weeks or even for the last few months. We've been talking to you about uh, North Riverside Baptist Church who uh, owns this property, has been ministering and worshiping here since the early 1950s. Uh, that they're going to be uh, coming to their vote. I'm going to be. We gave a presentation this past uh, Wednesday night. Uh, I'm going to be preaching here uh, tomorrow morning for their service, and then on Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, March 20th, uh, their congregation is going to be voting about gifting this building and this property to the City Life Church. Now, I b I believe we all believe that that vote's going to go forward in the in the affirmative. So I, I, I'm not looking past the significance of the vote, but what I, I want you to see is I want you to see past the reason. The, I want you to see past the vote for the reason why we believe that God's gifting us this property. And we believe that God is gifting us, the, us this property because of our vision to bring churches together. We're not moving to Sunday morning for a service. We're staying on Saturday. This is part of who we are as a church. Come on, praise the Lord. I know, right? It feels good, doesn't it? Don't call me on Sunday morning when I'm answering the phone. We're sleeping in just like you. So, the, 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 except for tomorrow when I have to preach. That... that that part of churches coming together means that they should work together more actively and not just on special events. And we believe this is one of the reasons why God has given us this. It's a, it's a biblical portion of generosity. There's no debt attached to this building. There's a cost, obviously, that comes with it. We're going to be talking about that in the weeks and the months to come to maintain a property. But it is a privilege for us, is it not? Because we're going to fill this building up with churches and ministries until we're in each other's way. Because one of the last things that Jesus did while he was on this earth in John 17 was he prayed that the church would be one as he and the Father are one. And we feel like that as a church, we've been given a mandate to see that come to fruition here in the 757. So Father, we just stand together in this moment as a church family. We stand together in this moment, and we say to you as a declaration, we're going to be faithful to you. We're going to be faithful to the sacrifice. We're going to be faithful to the call that we believe, God, that part of the greater things that your son said that we would see, we would see greater things than even he did. God, we believe that part of those greater things being unleashed in this world is that it has to come through a unified church. And so we pray, God, we pray for a great awakening in the 757. We pray for a powerful move of your spirit in the 757 that's going to make history again, just like it has in times past throughout history. But we believe, God, it's going to come through the gateway of the body of Christ standing together as one voice. God, help us to be a part of that in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said, amen. So be praying for us on March 20th. Be praying for North Riverside Baptist Church. If 
you're on social media, we'll be putting the result out there as soon as uh, we can, and then obviously we'll be talking about it and celebrating in it, hopefully, uh, next Saturday. How about a little birthday love? Is in, Where's Nicole Franks? Is she out there? Is she out there? Come on. It's her birthday today. Coming to church for her birthday. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. So we're starting a new series tonight. Do you like that picture? Break the yoke. You know what you're never going to see? You're never going to see a farmer trying to put a yoke on one of those animals. You know why? Because it's not going to fit. It creates an interesting picture, doesn't it? A, a farmer walking out into a field to one of this kind of ox, which is called a musk ox, with a, with a yoke. And you can imagine they get about halfway there and they look at the ox and they look at the yoke and they think, yeah, this isn't going to work. These animals were not made because of their size, because of their girth, because of their strength. They were never made to have a yoke placed around their neck. Break the yoke. Too many of us, we live our lives given over to bondages that were never intended to be a part of our lives. There is a freedom and a liberty that I hope that some of you are going to find as we begin to work through this series together. So we like a little participation here at City Life. So when, when, you, when you think about struggles that people have that, that keep them from going into deeper devotion to Christ, what are some of those struggles? It doesn't mean that you have it, so don't feel self-conscious. It can just be something that you can think of. You raise your hand, I'll point to you. But just struggles that people have that keep them. Addictions, yes, absolutely. Somebody else, Steve. Pornography. Kids, yeah. It's a different list than pornography and addiction, but it's still a struggle. Yeah, because your number already came up tonight, didn't it? Yeah, I saw it, I saw it. I was like, that's, that's Joey's number right there. Somebody else, somebody else, somebody else. Shame, oh, that's good. Come on, anybody else? Yeah, anybody? Yes, sir. Isolation. Who said, what was one in the back, Chrissy? Poverty, isolation. Jeremy. Unhealthy relationships. These are good, Marvin. Selfishness. This is a good list. Somebody else. Time management. Yes. Come on. Anybody else? Struggles that you have. Struggles that other people have. Anybody in the balcony up there with a hand up? No? All right. I like that people are up in the balcony. Come on going to fill this place up. That list could just keep getting longer, couldn't it? Think about the things that you didn't want to share because it's yours, because of shame. We don't want to say it. For some of us, it's not just one yoke, it's just stacks of yokes that are on our necks that weigh us down. Next week, we're going to be talking about yokes are significant spiritually because just as it affects you practically in the natural sense, right, with a beast of burden, so it does to you. When you accept a yoke around you, you're accepting an influence and a direction. Now, we believe that God has the power to break yokes, struggles, set us free, bondages that we find ourselves connected to that the Bible says that there are moments and times where God comes in and he breaks that thing right off of us. 
Look at Luke 4, verse 18. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, right? This is Jesus in the beginning of his earthly ministry. He steps forward in a synagogue to to do a reading, and they hand him, by way of providence, the scroll of Isaiah. And so he's not just participating in a worship service. This is a prophetic declaration of the beginning of his earthly ministry. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. Now listen to Acts 10, 38. It says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You, you, you find this, right? This is just a sampling of two verses out of all of Scripture that, that constantly references this idea that there is an anointing from God that brings liberty to people who are, are held captive. Now, we believe in that as a church. It's why we pray over people. It's why we come to ministry moments and our services together. It's why it's a part of our pastoral counseling. It's an important part of of our life groups. And I hope it's an important part of your interactions with each other that you find yourself often coming to the phrase of saying, hey, let's pray about that. Could I pray with you about that? Because there is power in those moments where we look to God for his intervention Now, the Bible uses this this picture of anointing because in the Old Testament, you see all of these rituals that are part of the Jewish tradition where they would anoint people with oil in certain circumstances, in certain situations. Now, the oil in and of itself does not have power. The oil is representative of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's why so many times that God calls us into outward expression that is supposed to help us visualize and see something that's going on inside of us or in the world around us. It's one of the reasons why we often kneel when we pray. There's no power in physically posturing your body, but when you kneel, if it's representative of posturing your heart in deference to God, there's power in that. We raise our hands in worship, not because there's, there's some magical impact with posturing our body in a certain way, but if in lifting our hands, it's representative of us lifting our hearts in adoration to the sovereignty of God, then yes, there's power in that. In the book of James, it talks about for the people who are sick to call for the elders of the church and to anoint them with oil and to pray over them. There's not power specifically in the oil, but there is power in prayer because in that same book it says the the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. It's because of what it represents and we believe, we believe in what it represents here. It's central to who we are as a church. But then you get to this interesting verse, you get to this curious verse of Isaiah 10, 27. Now, I'm not going to read it for you yet because I want to talk a little bit about it and then we're going to read it together. 
Now, this is a curious verse because depending on which Bible you choose and which translation you look at, you're you're going to get two very different theological beliefs based on which one you look at. This is why when we talk about studying God's Word, when we talk about coming to a doctrinal conclusion or a theological belief that there should be a breadth of study that's backed up by scholarly work that brings us to our final and ultimate conclusion. And sometimes it requires the juxtaposition of different translations together. The reason why that's important is because the original Hebrew and the word that matters in this verse, which we're going to get to in just a moment, is this first word that's going to pop up here, which is shamen, S-H-A-M-E-N. Now, it has a cousin. Just like in any language, there are words that relate to each other. And in Hebrew, there's another word, shamen, which means oil. Now, in the King James Bible that has popularized this verse in a certain way, leverages the cousin of the original word. It does not leverage the word shaman as it should have. It leverages the word shaman, which is its relative. The word shaman in Hebrew has a very distinct and very clear meaning. It means fat. Fat is a biblical concept. This is my biblical belly. Right? This, this, this word, it, it's just, it's a simple word. It's not a complicated word. It simply means fat. Now, when the people who interpreted the King James, the King James Bible is a great Bible. We use the King James Bible. We preach out of the King James Bible. But just like every other translation, it should be held in a healthy tension with all the other scholarly works that are out there. So when the writers of Hebrew saw this word fat, I, I think it, it, I mean, not the writers of Hebrews, the, the translators of the King James Bible, when, when, they, when they saw this word, fat, it, it was perplexing to them. And so, because they are scholars, they knew it had a cousin, shaman, which means oil. And so it seemed reasonable to them, because of so many other parts of the Old Testament that talks about the ritual of anointing oil and the power that's in it, they came to the conclusion, this must be what Isaiah had intended, but I don't think it was. Let's look at this verse. Now let's look at it. I'm going to read it in the King James. I think they're up there on the screen in both. In the King James, it says this, and it shall come to pass that in that day that this burden shall be taken away from off off thy shoulder. Now what is Isaiah talking about? Isaiah is prophesying during a time when Israel is suffering under uh, the, the kingdom of Assyria. They're being conquered, they're being led away into captivity, right? It's, it's another story for another time, but God is judging them because of their unfaithfulness, judging Israel, and he's using Assyria to do it. And Isaiah's prophesying to them. He's saying, hey, you're suffering now, but I want you to know that there's going to come a day in your future where God is going to enable this yoke to be lifted off of you. Listen to what he says, that, that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke, speaking of Assyria, off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Now in the Hebrew, it's shaman, and it should read this way, which the New American Standard gets right. 
So it will be in that day that his burden will be removed from your shoulders and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be broken because of fatness. Now you can appreciate the writers of the King James Bible are like, we can't write that. That doesn't make any sense. We've been working on this translation for years and, and, and all, right, this, this idea there's power in, in anointing. This has got to be what Isaiah was talking about. Let's go in that direction. Now, when a verse is not translated the best way, there can be a couple of different consequences. Now, one can be that we end up with a doctrine and a belief that's unbiblical. Right? That's harmful. Right? People have been using the Bible to justify evil right, for a long time. You think about slavery. You think about the crusades. You think about ethnic supremacy and ethnic cleansing. Many times there are movements that use the same book that we cherish to justify their evil deeds and their evil acts because they misinterpret certain parts of the Bible. They use it to advance their own will. Now that's not what's happening here. See, when a, Bible, when a verse in the Bible is translated poorly, it can also be a situation where it actually gives us a belief that we find in the rest of Scripture. And Isaiah in the King James, if you read it that way, it's not giving us a doctrine of belief that we don't believe, it's amplifying the belief that we all share. Does that make sense? There's, there's nothing harmful about this verse being leveraged with shaman instead of shaman, but there is a consequence. You see, whenever there's a verse in the Bible that's misinterpreted and it amplifies another belief when it was intended to give us a different belief, then this belief gets overshadowed and underappreciated. We love this idea of the anointing breaking the yoke. You know why we love that idea so oftentimes? Because we don't have to do jack for it. It's free, it's easy, it doesn't require any effort, it's breakfast in bed, it's dinner out on vacation. It's the buffet line at your favorite restaurant. When it's over, we just pay the bill and we walk away. Now, are there times where we find ourselves in situations and circumstances where if it were not for the power of God to intervene for us, that we would be stuck in that place for forever, for, for decades, for years? Yes. And I'm not saying that we should feel guilty about sovereign moments when God intervenes. But what I am, what I am saying, which I believe is the consequence of this verse. I grew up being taught this King James Version of this verse instead of the New American Standard. But the consequence is that you can begin to adopt and formulate in your mind a version of Christianity that says... It's never going to be up to me. It's only and always going to be up to God. And you can begin to use that position to justify your indifference for the struggle that you have and adopt a mindset and buy into deception that says if God wanted me to change, he would do something about it. 
When in reality, so many of us, so oftentimes, what God is saying to you and I, you do something about it. How much time have we spent in our lives regarding certain struggles, pleading with God to deliver us when his response to us all along has been, grow out of it? You see, if you take the NASB, which I think is what Isaiah intended, so it will be in that day that this burden will be removed from your shoulder. Think about what this burden is talking about. This isn't something small. This isn't something insignificant. This is a world power that has conquered another nation. They're being led away into captivity against their will. It's big, right? It seems as though this is something that would qualify for divine intervention. But what does God say? That this burden will be removed from your shoulders and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be broken because of fatness. Because you are going to begin, even in your sorrow and suffering, your heart is going to begin to change, which was God's purpose for bringing judgment on them to begin with because they had lost their sense of faithfulness to the one true God. And God brought this judgment on them to try to redirect their attention back to him. And God is saying over time, as you give yourself back to faithfulness as children of God, you're going to begin to grow spiritually. Your life is going to change and transform. And you're going to become such a person of spiritual strength that the yoke is going to shatter from off of you because of who you've now become. Isaiah 10, 27 is one of the most powerful declarations in Scripture. And it's one of the most challenging tasks that God will give to you and I this side of eternity is to grow through our struggle and to break free. Does that still require the power of God? Yes, it does. Does it still require the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us? Absolutely, it does. But it requires a partnership between our effort and who God is inside of us. Now, you know that one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 27, 13. I would have lost heart if, lest I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's a cornerstone verse for us here at the City Life Church. Now, you hold that verse in your mind for a moment, and let me share this verse I came across just the other day as doing my Bible reading plan for this year. It's Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. And we are not accountable for them. It's powerful, isn't it? The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them. But we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us. So that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. This comes at the end of the pronouncement of the blessing and also the curse that is the product of the covenant relationship that Israel steps into with God. And God's saying to them, hey, there's a lot in this life that's going to confuse you. There's lots of mysteries. You're not going to understand it all. There's secrets that you're not going to be revealed to you until you get to heaven. But there are going to be things that I am going to re reveal to you, and I'm going to hold you responsible for those things. 
And those things, people, those things that we do understand, that we do know, that's the way we grow. And that's the way for many of you, you're going to shatter some of these yokes that have been placed around your neck. I believe there will never be the fullness of Psalm 2713 realized in our lives until we embrace Deuteronomy 2929 and become an Isaiah 1027 follower of Christ. Let me say that again. I believe there will never be the fullness of Psalm 2713 realized in our lives until we embrace Deuteronomy 2929 and become and become Isaiah 1027 devoted followers of Christ. So let me talk to you about stewardship and generosity. Stewardship and generosity. Listen to these Bible stats. I read these stats at least once a year here at City Life. 16 of 38 parables of Christ deal with money. One out of every 12 verses in the New Testament addresses money. One out of 12. Listen to this stat. According to Christianity Today, today the Bible has 500 verses on prayer Less than 500 verses on faith. Over 2,000. Over 2,000 on money and possessions. If you've got to hang up with church talking about money, take it up with Jesus. Because most churches, even the ones that you feel like talk about it too much, they're probably not talking about it enough. If we're going to follow his example. If we're going to follow the example of this book. There is a reason why God gives so much attention to the topic of stewardship and generosity is because this tangible experience in this life with material things becomes one of the biggest yokes of bondage in people's lives. And for some of you, you're stuck right in it, a yoke of debt, a yoke of materialism, and that list could keep on going, and you just keep adding one more yoke after another, and you're frustrated because it feels like God's not doing enough, and what he's saying to you is, hey, how about you stop putting those yokes on yourself, and how about you begin to grow so you shatter the ones that are already there? 1 Timothy 6.10. This is Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Listen to what it says. And some people craving money, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. There's a lot of suffering that we're going to experience in this life. We're going to be talking about that series this year in 2019 that comes from God that's by His hand because it grows us and matures us in ways that nothing else ever could. We're going to talk about that this year. But we like to say here at City Life, Let's not add to the sorrows that God already has planned for us. Because that list is big enough as it is. And for too many of us, we add to the sorrows because we keep wandering from the true practices of Christianity. And every time we do, there's another yoke that's added to our necks. What would happen? 
what would happen if we begin to view 1 Timothy 6.10 through the lens of Isaiah 10.27? What areas of struggle in your life, in my life, yokes are persisting because our spiritual life continues to atrophy in the pathways of stewardship and generosity? The 12 pathways are your healthy fats in your spiritual life. The healthy fats. If you've been paying attention over the last few years, right, they're figuring all kinds of stuff out when it comes to diets. That not all fats are bad. The fats I like are bad, but there are fats that are good. These pathways that we talk about in this book, and if you don't recognize this book, it's free to you. You find someone in a, in a blue shirt, they'll give it to you. There's, there's, we loaded up the cart tonight because we're trusting that some of you are going to get one. If you don't have one and you're thinking, well, I'm not new here, so I feel self-conscious about get, asking for one, you just throw that yoke off and then you get one anyways. You should have one of these books. These pathways. It is the meat of the diet of your Christianity. Let me, let me read you the definition in the back here for stewardship and generosity. Generosity is having a heart to give freely and to offer help to others. Stewardship is being a good manager of all that God has entrusted to you. We're going to be talking about this in this series. Stewardship is based on the belief that everything you have belongs to God. It all belongs to Him. He's got a plan for what you're supposed to do with it, and part of that plan is to give some of it away. Stewardship is about recognizing everything you have belongs to God, submitting yourself to his plan for all of those things, and recognizing that part of that plan is this act of generosity, which is giving some of it away. We're going to be talking about in this series what God specifically says about where some of that money should go. You can appreciate, right, all the pathways that we could have picked to be the center of this sermon series, Break the Yoke, We're picking stewardship and generosity because of 1 Timothy 6.10. There's something about materialism that becomes the root of all kinds of evil in our lives. And part of that evil, I think, is the implication of Paul, of what he's trying to say to Timothy, is that if you struggle with materialism, if you're not eating the healthy fats of stewardship and generosity, your problems aren't just going to be money-related. Your problems are going to begin to be all kinds of different evils and struggles in your life. He's saying that there's all kinds of struggles that trace their way back to this root. We're going to dig this root up. In this series, we put a pull-down attic in our house recently. It's one of it's on our project list. House was built in the '70s, and the, there's a little scuttle in Claire's closet that we usually have to borrow someone from the nursery to get up there. It's so small. Just kidding. I never did that with your child. Just making sure you're awake out there. It's like, why, why even put that up there? Who's, who can fit through that? And even if you can fit through it, what are you going to be able to take up there? We keep our toothpicks in the attic. That's all we could get through the scuttle. That's all we can store. So we put a pull down, you know, and, 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 and so we're cutting out the ceiling joists, right? That's what, that's, that always makes you nervous. You, you watch all these YouTube videos, and you talk to your friends, but at the end of the day, you got to take that sawzall to that 2 by 6 that's 
supporting your roof, and you're just hoping the whole roof's not going to come down. So our roof didn't come down, praise the Lord, and so it's up there and in there, but at some point you put this, you know, pull-down ladder up in there, and it's all screwed in, and when you pull it, you pull it down, there's this first moment where you have to walk up it. I was like, hey, Ethan, come here for a minute. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And as I'm going up the ladder, I see a warning label. And the warning label says weight limit, 250 pounds. Now, thankfully, I'm shy of that. I'm a good solid 200 on a good day. But then I'm thinking to myself, we plan on putting a lot of stuff up here. So then I'm thinking to myself, what happens when I've got that big box of books in my hands and I'm carrying it up the steps? Well, needless to say, we have tested the weight limit of this pull-down attic. And thankfully, they were conservative with the limit that they put on there. And our hope, Vanessa and I said, that this is going to serve as motivation for us in our life, that we can only get but so big as we age, or we'll never be able to get our stuff out of the attic ever again. But as I was walking down that hall this week, knowing that we were going to be talking about this message and this sermon, this, I had this thought. I looked up, you know, you do home projects, you like to stand there and admire your work and talk to yourself about how great you are. And this is a thought I felt like the Holy Spirit whispered, whispered to my heart. Is that at the end of our days... How light are we going to be when it's time for us to rise to heaven? How light are we going to be? My hope is that because you're in this church, when it's time for you to go, and I hope that doesn't come for a long time, that God says to the angels, hey, we're going to have to get a freight elevator for this one. Because they are Isaiah fat because they've been feasting on the healthy fats of spiritual discipline all the days of their life. In fact, we might have to make the pearly gates just a little bit bigger for them to fit through it. Let's not walk into heaven malnourished. Let's not get there on the other side and be slight. Let's not go there and just and just be glad we made it in because of all the yokes that we chose to carry that had nothing to do with Christ. Let's be a people that has a faith and a belief that there is a health and a maturity to spiritual life that we can experience this side of heaven that makes us look a lot like that ugly old musk ox whenever the devil comes knocking on our door with a yoke that he wants to put around our neck and he's got to walk away because he looks at you and he looks at me and he looks at our children and he says, yep, this ain't going to fit because we're fat, because we're fat. Because we're Isaiah fat. 
I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Next week, we're going to be talking about this fellow in the Old Testament by the name of Balaam. By the name of Balaam. We didn't get to it tonight. We're going to get to it next week. It's a powerful story. It's a powerful story about a man who God had given incredible abilities, but he chose to use those abilities to enrich himself. And he even found himself in a moment where he began to barter for God. This is the thought I want to leave you with tonight before we step into this last moment of worship. Is that grace does not displace the consequential nature of obedience. Grace does not displace the consequential nature of obedience. We believe in grace in this church. We wouldn't make it without it. Heaven is promised to us because of grace, because of what Christ did on the cross. He paid an incredible price for us to have the hope of being on the way there. But that grace does not displace the consequential nature of obedience. When we make a vow of devotion to Christ and enter into this lifelong covenant relationship with our Creator and we're born into His family, He has some expectations of us. And one of those expectations is obedience. He lays it out for us for how we're supposed to live. And every time he says no, it's not because he's trying to rob us of goodness. It's because he's trying to protect us from mediocrity. And he's trying to release us into the Psalm 27, 13 life that he has for you, which requires a Deuteronomy 29, 29 heart. So as we step into this moment of worship tonight, stand with me. I just want to pray over us tonight. I just want to pray over us that we're going to use this moment of worship as an opportunity to recommit our hearts to a journey in this life of deference and submission to the Father who created us and to the Father that has a plan for our lives that is Ephesians 3.20, exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. God Help us, even in this moment, to put on a little bit of spiritual weight. Even in this moment, God, that we'd be just a little bit more fat on the inside. That maybe even for some, maybe even for some, that just that little bit of growth is going to finally shatter some yoke that's been around their neck for too long. Maybe for some tonight, you're going to do the opposite in this moment of what we've been talking about. That you're just going to come in with your power without any effort on their behalf and you're going to set them free. Just to let them know. Just to let them know that in their future, there's always power. Sometimes it comes by your hand, but then sometimes, oh God, sometimes it comes because we grow. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.